You like Fireboy? I do. You're listening to Your Tables on Fire. A weekly conversation with the hottest game designers on Kickstarter. Here comes your host, Jeff Beck. Why, hello. This is your host, Jeff Beck. Welcome to episode number 14. All right. With me today, we have Brian Hermanson, the founder of Ultra Evil Studios and one of the creators of War of the Races. Brian, welcome to your Tables on Fire. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We're glad you're here. Before we get too deep into the weeds, can you take a moment and tell us a little bit about the rest of your team? Yeah, absolutely. So I am the founder of Ultra Evil Studios, co-founder, actually. The other founder is no longer with us, unfortunately, but he still kind of hops on board and plays our games and stuff and gives us feedback. Oh, so he's not dead, because that's what I No, no, he's not. <laughs> no, he's not dead, luckily. No, he just moved on to some different things. But yeah, so one of the co-founders and one of the co-developers of both Stormweavers, which we released in the past, and this new game, Legends of Aerith, more War of the Races. The other co-developer is a good friend named Rod. He bought into the company, so he's now a co-owner, but he is the nerdiest dude I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> loves Magic the Gathering, loves video games and stuff, so he fits in really well. He definitely has pulled his weight in terms of co-developing this new game. Our lead artist for War of the Races, he also does some art for some of the other projects that we're doing. His name is Randall Hampton. I don't know if you've poked around the art too much around the Kickstarter campaign, but he's seriously so awesome. The art on your game looks fantastic for sure. Yeah, we're really excited about it. We got an email the other day saying, oh man, your art is a site for sore fantasy loving eyes, you know? So, <laughs> But he can do all sorts of styles. For the other project, it's kind of more of a anime project. He's phenomenal in either case. So he's our lead artist. Right now he's finishing up art on the War of the Races. And in total, there's upwards of 300 unique drawings. Wow. That's a big project. It's a huge project, which is totally different than our previous game because it's, it's like iconography. It was very simple. It's pretty and stuff. It's a really cool art style, but it's very different. Those are the three main members of the team right now. We do have another member who kind of serves as a consultant who just has lots of experience playing card games and board games and, and everything. And his name is Blaine. You can usually find him in some gameplay videos that we do and stuff like that. So he's usually the one winning. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the team. With the team out of the way, now take a minute and tell us about yourself. Yeah, I'm Brian. I live here in Salt Lake City. I'm married with a little baby, just turned five months a couple days ago, trying to get as much sleep as I can and <laughs> plugging away. <laughs> it's hard between a Kickstarter campaign and three other projects we're doing and a kid and everything, but yeah, well I'm worth kidding. it. In terms of like nerd credit, obviously love card games, board games, and stuff like that. If I had to pick my favorite board game, I know this is cliche and everything, but it's probably Southers of Catan. It's just so classic. I don't know. Is that kind of what got you into the gaming hobby? Oh, yeah, for sure. My family and I play that. Every time we get together, we love Settlers. In terms of video games, I'm a huge Zelda fan. My office is just decked out with Zelda stuff because my wife wouldn't let me keep it at home anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> Get it out! Yeah. yeah. I love books. I love reading. I love the Stormlight Archive series. Anything Sanderson does. I love the Wheel of Time series. Obviously love Lord of the Rings. I know that's also cliche, but Game of Thrones, Prince of Thorns series, everything like that. A big fantasy nod, huh? Yeah, huge. You mentioned the Stormlight series. Is that where Stormweavers, the name comes from? Yes and no. I mean, it's not like we were like, hey, let's make a Stormlight Archive game, you know? 
But my partner and I, who left, but he was the co-developer on Stormweavers. We were both crazy into Stormlight at the time and still are, but, you know, we're waiting on the new books. It was influenced for sure by Stormlight Archive. I mean, there's not much more to it than that, than there being a giant storm. (laughs) That's all that we really stole, if, if you want to use that term. But it's funny you say that because War of the Races actually started out as a Mistborn fan game. Oh, no way. That we kind of played just for fun in the office, you know, when we were bored. We never took it to Sanderson or anything because he already has a couple Mistborn games. Yeah, in fact, they're just releasing a new one, I saw. Yeah, on on Kickstarter, I saw that. But yeah, it was kind of this fun, pretty simple card game that we made using the Alamancy symbols. If you're a Mistborn fan, you'll know what that is. But then we realized, you know, this game's a ton of fun. And instead of trying to license it and everything, we decided to change it. And instead of it being individual Mistborns fighting, we made it armies. And as you play the game, if you're familiar with Mistborn, you'll definitely see some influences there. Like you can push, not metals, but you can push certain things back. And that started originally as you could push metals back and stuff like that. So that sounds like we're super derivative and makes us kind of sound <laughs> bad because both games were inspired by Sanderson works. But it just kind of happened to be that, you know, we have a couple other games in the works right now that are out of nowhere. So if your next game has anything to do with chalk figures that come to life, we'll know where to point the finger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly (laughs) that was a super geeky joke that only two people on my entire listeners will get but that's okay because they'll be rolling on the floor so in your opinion what makes a really good game i'm not really into shooter games or anything like that i'm more into like fantasy adventure games where i can play them by myself and and that's my kind of thing is it has to be immersive i have a couple buddies who love halo and call of duty and that's fine i I can play it for a half hour or so before i'm kind of like eh, let's move on but i'm more of like I'm not into video games to hang out with people. <laughs> when I play video games or or any type of game, obviously, except for card games when you need people. But I like to be like alone in my own room. All the lights off and a big TV and headphones on. You know, I like to be alone. I like to be immersed in the world. And that's probably why I like Zelda so much is it's getting a little repetitive, right? But uh, it's just so immersive. It just draws me in. How does that balance with Catan? That's probably the least immersive game I it can It probably of. is. Uh, Catan is probably Catan, Catan, however you say it. I've, I think I'm the only one who ever says it Catan, but... <laughs> You're probably right, too. <laughs> I don't know. That's just how my family said it. And it goes back to that as well. It's just that that's my earliest game that I ever played, and I probably just have the most fond memories around it because my family played it so much growing up. And that's probably why I like Catan so much. Not that it's so immersive, but that it's have some fond memories regarding it. So when did you make the leap from game player to game designer? It was about a year and a half ago. Up till then, the company still existed. Not Ultra Evil Studios, but the parent company, which is called Broadsword Entertainment. We've launched lots of different products, and some of which we've sold off and and stuff like that. But we started off primarily publishing books, and we published a couple books and had a lot of fun. And we're still doing that, but we decided to try and publish a card game. And... My partner at the time is a huge, huge card game player, and his in-laws, who he was living with at the time, were hugely into card games as well, and it was like three-hour D&D sessions every single night when they were living together, and (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so we got really, really into it. We just decided to take a stab at it, and obviously, my partner really had a talent for it. He was really, really good at designing card games. I learned a lot from him, and, and obviously, this new guy I brought in has helped a ton as well. But we decided to just kind of take a chance. And Stormweavers, which released and shipped about a month ago, has had phenomenal feedback from the backers and customers who bought it after the Kickstarter as well. Obviously, the people who have negative experiences, I mean, there are some, right? But it hasn't been very vocal. And so far, everyone has 
had questions and suggestions and stuff like that, but everyone's been very, very positive about it. And it's, and that's really nerve wracking to ship a game because, <laughs> you know, it could suck really bad. <laughs> 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 and, and we were confident that it didn't. And we had a blast playing it, you know, and that's kind of a rule of thumbs. If you're having fun after weeks and weeks and weeks of playing it 10 times a day, if you're still having fun, it's a good game, you know, <laughs> right. but if, you, if you're burnt out, if you're sick of it, it's probably not going to do so well. But yeah, it can be scary, though. You ship a thousand games out and you don't know if it's going to be positive or negative or mixed, but it's been very positive and we're very grateful for that. Yeah, that's great. Well, tell us about how the process went, whether it be Stormweaver or War of the Races. As far as you know, when you sat down and said, hey, let's design a game, what was the process? As far as Stormweavers goes, it was our first game and there was more of a learning curve to it. But we started off with my partner, Blake, wrote down some basic mechanics when he was on lunch break at work. <laughs> and he wrote it down on a napkin <laughs> and uh, also cliche, but wrote it down on a napkin and brought it home and we play tested a little bit and it was not fun at all. <laughs> um, so we changed tons and, you know, every time you play, you have a uh, four or five sheets of paper that everyone's writing down suggestions on and. I think the key also in terms of making a game is to, and and I was always involved, Blake was always involved, there was another guy, Blaine, who was always involved, but we also had lots of different people coming in, so it wasn't just our eyes on it all the time. We always had fresh views and fresh eyes on the game, and new advice from this person, and totally different advice from this person, we would weigh it. You know, it's a long process, it's very, it's simple though, I mean, it's just, you start, you find out what works, you find out what doesn't, you take it out, you add more. Yeah, very, very basic, but it's a long process, though. It's not something that can be done in a week, <laughs> you know? As far as War of the Races goes, the functions and the mechanics are very, very simple. Have you ever played the card game War? Sure. You're very simple, right? It's basically like a more advanced version of War, where you don't just grab your top card and play it, obviously, but you do grab the top cards from the deck, and then you can strategize based on what cards you get. You lay down your cards, and then your opponent has to defend or take damage, and then your opponent lays down their cards, and just vice versa, vice versa. So it's very, very simple. And like I said, it started out as a Mistborn game, where it was just one warrior against another warrior. We got that basic game down, and it was fun, and it only took about 15 minutes. So when we were at work and during lunch or something, we'd play a quick game with one another. So that helped when we transitioned to War of the Races, which became a more complicated game than the original game was. But we already had that basis that we built upon. That was definitely helpful. There was one mechanic we had that I was adamant had to stay. And a couple people were like, oh, dude, I really think you should change that around. And I was like, oh, I, <laughs> it's so cool. I, I really don't think we should. And finally, they convinced me to try one game without the mechanic. And I was like, whoa, this game is so much better without that. <laughs> So, you know, being humble and, and realizing that just because you made this mechanic and you really want it to stick doesn't mean it should. But yeah, I mean, it's it's as simple as pushing and pushing and trying and trying different things and taking out what doesn't work and doing more of what does work. Well, that's a great lead in. Let's talk about War of the Races. For anyone listening who is not familiar with the game, can you give us the spiel? War of the Races is a quick, fast-paced card game that pits five different races against one another. It's basically the Hobbit, the Battle of the Five Armies, in a card game. 
You have orcs, you have elves, you have dwarves, humans, and demons. And they all obviously share overall functions and mechanics, and the game plays mostly the same, doesn't matter which race you choose. But the cool thing is that each deck, which is an entire different race, each deck has their own mechanics that you kind of have to... I mean, it's not too much of a learning curve when you switch from humans to orcs or orcs to elves or whatever it is, but each deck has its own mechanics that you have to kind of play with, and you can use those to your advantage and stuff. Like, the elves are very magic-heavy. They use a lot of healers and stuff like that to bring health back. The orcs are very power-heavy. They use lots of hand-to-hand combat that deals more damage. The dwarves use more strategic defense. When you defend in a certain way, then you can attack directly. You don't have to wait for your next turn to attack. The humans have a bunch of strategy cards that are actually like technology-based. You know, with all these races, they have magic and orcs are bigger than them. And (laughs) in order to keep up, they integrate technology and stuff to battle these other races, which is really cool. And then the demons dwell in the shadows. The mechanic there is that if you play certain cards, then you can actually lay some of your infantry cards and stuff face down, kind of unseen, right? So your opponent doesn't really know it's there. And there's obviously ways to get around all these different mechanics and counters and defenses and everything. But each deck has their own functions and and their own advantages, their own disadvantages. And basically, as you go throughout this game, it only takes about 30 minutes. You attack your opponent or you attack your opponents. It could be, depending on how many players you have, everyone chooses their own deck and you fight it out. And then once you defend other people, you redraw your cards and take your turn. It just kind of goes back and forth. It's very fast. It's very simple, easy to pick up and learn, but it can be also very strategic. And then the last race standing wins. Of those races, do you have a personal favorite? It depends on the category. (laughs) In terms of art, the demons are coming along really cool. I probably like the art there because it's so diverse. There's one who kind of looks like a dead guy from the Return of the King, right? The dead army or whatever. And then there's another who kind of looks like a devil type dude. (laughs) Um, But it's kind of, it's just so different and very unique. So I probably like the art there the most. In terms of the mechanics, probably... You know, when I start an MMO, I always choose the heavy hitters. (laughs) So probably the orcs in terms of playability. I like to be a heavy hitter and (laughs) deal as much damage as I can. So Let's talk about playtesting because I'm sure, you know, with five different races all asymmetric, that's got to be a lot of playtesting to make sure that everything's balanced. Oh, it's so incredibly hard. (laughs) So when we print, which pre-mass production printing is crazy expensive. (laughs) And uh, when we print we get like three times the amount of cards that we actually need to play per deck because we know we're going to be taking a lot of them out. And we know that we're going to be putting a lot of them back in. So we have more than enough spare. <laughs> we obviously started off with two decks, the elves and the orcs. We didn't want to be burnt out on trying to do all five races at once. And then once we got the elves and the orcs, who are probably the most similar of the five decks in terms of what damage they deal and their mechanics and stuff. But once we got those two balanced, we realized that these two decks can be used as a basis. Then we just added one race at a time. The humans were next. That was different because we took a lot of the strategy cards and made them more technology-based where you can use technology with certain other cards to do different things and stuff like that. And then we went to the dwarves which is more strategy-based or more defensive than other decks, and then added the demons last of all. Rod and I, the co-developer, obviously are are there for most of the playtests. We like to bring in fresh people. We grab backers if they live here in Salt Lake City, both from the current campaign and our old Stormweavers campaign. 
And we like to have them come in just because they're the ones actually backing and they're the ones who actually know what they, you know. Right. So they're invested. Yeah, absolutely. So we bring backers in and we try and get their opinion on as much as possible. Their feedback has been invaluable for sure. Yeah. Like I said, it's still a very long process. You can't expect it to be finished in a week or even a month. (laughs) You know, we've been doing this game for seven months-ish. It seems quick to some developers and it might be. But it's also the fact that we are playing like 10 times a day, you know, (laughs) or observing people play 10 times a day. And then between each game, we're taking all our notes. We scan them into the computer. We upload them to our Google Drive so that they're there forever. And then we all get on Google Drive and make notes and circle what we think we could keep, you know. So between every game, there's this huge brainstorming session. And then we watch other people play it. We play it ourselves. We have our wives play it to see if it's casual, friendly. Well, I want to talk about the title, because as you alluded to before, War of the Races is actually just the subtitle, because it's actually Legend of Eremoth, or Eremore. Yeah, Erethmore, yeah. Erethmore, there you go. Which is a totally made-up name, um, just out of thin air, <laughs> because I might get bitter talking about this. So we launched the project. We had play-tested with like 100 people before the Kickstarter campaign launched, right? And no one ever said, like, oh, that's kind of a sketchy name. And we didn't really think of it. I mean, it's five fantasy races fighting. But the second we launched, we started getting emails and tweets and stuff from people being like, wow, that is so offensive that you would put that as a name on your Kickstarter campaign. And we decided, let's make it a subtitle. Legends of Arathmore kind of gives it more context that it's fantasy based. And that was kind of hard for us because we were like, oh, we wish someone told us this yesterday. <laughs> you know, and we could have. Right, right before we launched. Yeah, exactly. And we could have <laughs> put a different name from the beginning. And I think that kind of slowed us down because we changed the name or made it a subtitle and we lost a little momentum and, and you know. Which is fine. I'd rather do what's right and what's going to make the most people happy in the end rather than be hard-headed and just be like, no, we're going to keep this name. I don't really care. It doesn't matter. The game's still the same. It's a blast. Whether it's called War of the Races or War of the Potatoes, it doesn't matter. (laughs) It's all the same. The game's still a game. Yeah. So, Is there a backstory that you're going to develop or that you have developed for Aerithmore? It is developed. So it's actually in the form of like a 10-page comic. And we haven't released that quite yet. And it should be finished in about a week, which is is really cool. I'm watching it come together and stuff like that, but it's going to be released as a comic. And it's kind of going to explain why these these races are going against each other and stuff like that. So we'll get to that, though. (laughs) Well, let's talk Kickstarter. You broached that subject, so let's hit it up. You guys have been alive for, I think, about two weeks now. Is that right? Yeah, about two weeks now. Yep. Yeah. How are things going? Good. We had a really, really good first day. Uh, lots of repeat backers who backed our previous stuff. This is my like four or fifth or sixth Kickstarter campaign that I've helped with. And all but our very first one was successful. But it doesn't matter how many times you launch. It's super nerve-wracking pressing launch. <laughs> yeah. And it's really, really scary. Or not scary, but it's exciting and it's adrenaline rushing and everything. But yeah, it's it's can be nerve wracking. But yeah, it's going well. Our very first day, we made about four thousand dollars. Since then, we've made about two, which has slowed down quite a bit. We have plans to push that forward, and we are confident we're going to get funded and stuff. We'd like to get past our funding goal, obviously. It's picked back up the last couple of days, and we're we're feeling pretty good about it. So, can you talk about those plans at all? Yeah, just uh, lots of podcasts similar to this in the works, a couple big ones. And so we have a gameplay video right now up that is just one versus one. 
it's fun and I think people will see the potential of the game. But we have our five versus five video coming up. First of all, gathering five people to play this game and getting the camera just right and editing and everything is a huge <laughs> project. Um, but then after it was done, we actually lost all the footage. That hurts. <laughs> and and that was like the day before the Kickstarter went live and we were like, shoot. But we decided to launch anyways. We do have the Five vs. Vive, which we re-recorded and re-edited and stuff. We have that coming back in about two days. Hopefully it'll be up by Thursday-ish, Friday at the latest. And we think that'll help a lot. It'll help people see the craziness of five races battling all at the same time and stuff. At every reward tier, we're actually giving out a free PDF download of like all the character art. And we have the Elf Art book. Should be finished tonight, actually. And probably will go live tomorrow. And anyone can download that. Anyone can view it. Uh, any of the backers can view it. The art is like one of the coolest things about the campaign. So we definitely want to highlight that. But hopefully that'll draw in some more attention and stuff like that as well. You mentioned that you've done several Kickstarters. So what have you gleaned from those experiences that you've been able to bring to bear here? There's a lot that you learn from every single one. If you haven't ran a Kickstarter yet, then the couple big things I'd point out is that A, it's a lot more work than you think it's going to be. <laughs> it's not just once you get your Kickstarter up, you press launch and you're good to go. It's hours a day managing it and adding to it and seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work, taking away, adding, stuff like that. The next big thing is to not expect to make a ton of money. <laughs> I think a lot of people see, you know, one of the projects I worked on raised a couple hundred thousand dollars and people look at that and they're like, oh, dude, nice. You get a nice paycheck that month. And it's like, actually, we went a couple thousand dollars in debt after all was said and done. Wow. You know, shipping is always going to be more, which is fine because we made it back and everything. And, and we kind of knew that that was going to happen. But everything is going to be more expensive than you expect it to be. <laughs> and everything is going to take longer than you expect it to be, right? It's just kind of managing those expectations. And people look at Kickstarters, they're like, wow, these guys made so much money off whatever. And But don't expect to walk away with money. Any money we did make on Stormweavers, we actually invested back into art for War of the Races and stuff like that. But in terms of actually learning things, you know, you learn to be very interactive with the backers. You want to update often and you want to respond to comments quickly and respond to messages quickly and have fun with the backers, you know. For a couple of months, my job was helping other people with Kickstarter campaigns until I decided to go full time on this stuff. But during those times, I dealt with a lot of people who they wanted to kind of look corporate, right? They were leasing these products and they wanted to look like they were a big company. And for that reason, they like wouldn't respond to comments right away. They kind of let it stir a little bit and then they wouldn't respond. To, I don't know. They, it was just kind of weird. But you can't do that with a Kickstarter. You have to be, I mean, it's for startup companies. You have to be very interactive. You have to communicate with the backers and most of all, be upfront about everything. There's zero reason to bend the truth or whatever it might be. <laughs> Just tell them exactly what's up. I mean, we had to delay Stormweavers and we got on and we said, this is exactly why we had to delay Stormweavers. This is when we honestly think it's going to be there. And it actually was about a week and a half later than that. But we told them being open with the backers and allowing them to see that, or sorry, allow them to work with you as opposed to you're working for them. But if you let them work with you and, and get excited with you and understand these complications and these exciting times with you, then it's going to be a much better experience. Yeah, that's really good advice. So once this Kickstarter project is come and gone and War of the Races is out and about, what's next for you guys? 
we have another game that we're launching soon and it's already done. We just don't want to launch simultaneously. We're actually partnering with a different company to to bring it to a Kickstarter. So it's not our game completely. But it's a very family, it's a very different game. Our our two games so far are fantasy based and stuff like that. But our new game is very family friendly. It's very it's a it's a family game that you'd play when you're, you know, with your family or with friends and stuff like that. So it's very different. And it's it's basically a, a take on have you ever played Psychiatrist? Like the party game? Yeah, like the party game. Okay, yeah. So it's like psychiatrist in card game format. Oh. It's like a physical psychiatrist type game. So we're going to be doing that. But again, it's a very different audience. We're not sure how it's going to do, but we're, we're really excited about that. And you're going to do that under a totally different brand, you said? Uh, we might. We might just do it under, because we're, we're partnering with another studio to do it. We'll probably just do it under their brand name. And like I said, Broadsword Entertainment is the parent company of Ultra Evil Studios, and we're always launching different products. We recently launched something called the Key Armory. We make keys in the shape of swords. Wow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you go to keyarmory.com, we raised about $52,000 in Kickstarter a couple months back. The keyarmory.com will be fulfilling those keys in about a month, or not even a month, a couple weeks here. Time flies. Yeah. End of April, early <laughs> May. But yeah, we have keys in the shape of like Zelda swords and the shield and Game of Thrones swords and Thundercats, Kingdom <laughs> Hearts. What else? Nice. Final Fantasy. You know, so. And then after that, you know, that's like five products we've launched in six months. <laughs> so we're wow. going to lay off a little bit. Yeah, no kidding. And then we have one big product that we've been working on for about a year and a half that we kind of consider our baby. I won't give away too much quite yet. We're not quite ready to. But it is, you hear the term open world game, right? But we're working on an open world novel. It's a kind of a choose your own adventure novel, but it's also a video game mixed in. As you read, when you get to certain scenarios, you play those scenarios out on an app on your phone. It's a real-time battle system on your phone and stuff like that. You gain levels depending on whether you lose the battle, you win the battle, things change in the book, your inventory changes, your party changes. Kind of an open world novel that is integrated with a real time video game. Wow, that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, we're really excited about that, and and yeah, sometimes we get that reaction. That's really awesome, and sometimes we get I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so and, and yeah, it's that's really what I thought. I just didn't want to admit it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's a big task, but it's it's going to be awesome. We kind of consider that our baby, and that'll be launching probably in seven months or so after War of the Races. That's exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Do you have any advice for a new designer who's just getting started out? You know, I talked about this already a little bit, but just have fun. If the game's not fun, then it's not working. (laughs) Play the game a ton and invite others to play it. Get their honest feedback. Don't be offended over anything they say because they will have constructive criticism. You can take and you can use that criticism to build your game even better. But yeah, above all, just make sure that you're having fun. Because if you're having fun, then other people are going to have fun. Yeah, and if you're not having fun, there's something wrong with your game, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. (laughs) Well, Brian, it's time for me to come clean and tell you that the real reason that you're on your tables on fire was not to talk about War of the Races, but instead to play the Game Design Challenge. (laughs) Okay. So this is how this works. I'm going to pitch to you a game theme, just a random theme. And then off the cuff, I want you to come back to me with how that game would play, what that game is. All right. Uh-oh. Are you up for this? I, I, I hope so. <laughs> okay. Well, like I said, this is going to be a random theme, so let's see if we can find one here. And that theme is going to be... 
Oh, it's a good one. Garden Gnomes. Garden Gnomes. Garden Gnomes, the game. <laughs> oh, man. Gar- what are garden gnomes? Are they just the little troll things that you set out in your garden? Yep, exactly. Okay. So, in this epic garden, <laughs> the weeds have taken over, and you have been instructed by the garden gnome queen of the garden land <laughs> to, rid like the, to rid the world of these weeds. So you have to join up with four other members, four other garden gnomes, and take out the weeds. <laughs> Yeah, well, so how does the game play? You know, what kind of game is it? Yeah, I see that being a co-op game where no one plays the weeds. The weeds are kind of there. And that's actually very similar to Stormweavers, actually. It's basically the exact same with a storm, though, rather than weeds. (laughs) (laughs) So that kind of is easy for me to talk about. But yeah, as you flip the weed deck over, different scenarios play out on the card. And you have to work together to work through those scenarios. Uh, For example, hmm, trying to think of a weed card. You know, like stinging nettles, something pretty nasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then each gnome character card has their own abilities, just like in an MMO. One is the damage dealer, one is the healer, everything like that. So you have to work together to take out this weed, and the weed is fighting back and kind of an RPG card game, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like it. This could actually be a fun game. <laughs> that was scary, by the way. <laughs> That's not easy on the spot there. but well, You know, and that wasn't an easy theme, but you did well, so well done. <laughs> okay, well done. good. Well, thank you. All right, well, Brian, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. It's been a blast being on here. Yeah, we'll have to have you on again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. And all the best of luck for the rest of your campaign. Thank you. Have a good night. Well, that was Brian Hermanson, the founder of Ultra Evil Studios and one of the creators of War of the Races. You've been listening to Your Tables on Fire. Follow us on Twitter at TableFire. Or check out our website for show notes and a link to Brian's game. That's www.yourtablesonfire.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BoardGameGeek. Hit us up on any of those websites and give us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Well, until next time, light it up. Light it up.